Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. A little over a year ago, Havas merged its creative agency business under the global leadership of Havas Health and Youth CEO, Donna Murphy. Since then, the synergy has allowed more access to talent and expertise to flow more seamlessly between the two groups. As the CEO of Havas North America and Chief Creative Officer and President of Havas Chicago, respectively, Stephanie Nerlich and Myra Nussbaum are a dynamic female leadership team focused on elevating the next generation of female creative leaders. They discuss multiple programs the agency has created to stop female talent from dropping out of the industry at the mid-level. Also in this episode, Nerlich and Nussbaum chat about their top contenders for Cannes this year and share advice for first-timers on how to navigate the festival. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hello, Steph, Myra, how are you? Great. Good. So good to see you, even though we're not in the same room. I know. Well, thank you for for joining me virtually. It's a pleasure to have you both on the podcast, especially right before Can, when we're all probably going a little bit crazy and 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 putting our schedules together and playing Jenga with our with our half hour meeting slots. <laughs> it is exactly, and, and it's the week before Can, so you're trying to jam everything into this week because you don't have next week. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So. Thank you for making the time for us. <laughs> Before we get into Can and all of the fun work, I'm sure that you're, you know, submitting to the to the festival this year. I want to talk a little bit about Havas and sort of your both of your roles there and some, you know, changes that have happened in the past year and how how those are playing out. So I know it was just about a year ago that um Havas Creative came under the leadership of Donna Murphy, right? CEO of Havas Health and You. And I'm curious, like how that's influencing the work at the network, especially on the creative side. Maybe Myra, you want to start with this one? Sure. I think in terms of health uh, agencies and creative agencies, those lines have been blurring for a few years now. I would, by few, I probably mean 10. Um, So I think I have a lot of friends that work specifically on health that came from more of the general CPG world that I think the only thing that you really have to shift to is a better understanding of how to handle all all of the legal at the end. Um, But I think that especially when you think of brands that are highly regulated like alcohol or even cigarettes that have been a part of our world for such a long time, there are quite a few similarities and restrictions and FCC compliances. Um, So I guess all of that to say that it hasn't been uh, a culture jarring thing at all. We're excited, Dan, Lucy, and I uh, that work on the creative side are really Uh, have been collaborating more with Eric Weisberg, who's the global CCO on the health side. And he also comes from a general creative background. So I I guess there hasn't been much of a much of a shift. I think we've just gotten to meet a lot more of the health creatives uh, and try to find synergy and creative thinking across those those different I guess, agencies or brands. Yeah, I guess it would sort of, it breaks down the silos a little bit more, right? Between the different agencies. Um, Stephanie, I'm curious as, as CEO of the North America network, like how it sort of helps you manage the network, bring things closer together, what what your perspective is on it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been great for the network. You know, I think almost 10 years ago, Yannick, 
Polaroid launched the Together Strategy. Mm-hmm. And this is just sort of the final piece in putting the organization back together. What's been amazing is how much talent we've been able to share across what were what was an aisle and is now no longer an aisle, thankfully. We're still in two buildings, but we're hoping to merge uh, into one as, our, as real estate you know, changes around the world. But we've we've got to see the amazing capabilities of talent of, mm-hmm. of so many of our peers that we didn't even know existed before. It opened up the world to thousands of more, you know, resources essentially. Mm-hmm. So can when we look at a, a new business pitch, for example, or uh, a, you know, organic growth from clients, we can say, hey, who are the resources that used to be on another side of the business that we can look at? The strategists have been amazing on the health side, and they come from a lot of general market experience. So bringing these two organizations together has actually been easier than we thought, because it really is all about talent resource. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm curious, like health and creative is an interesting combo. Usually people talk about media and creative, right? And I think like, to your point, um, Yannick, CEO of Havas Group, created this together strategy and and the village strategy, right, of sort of like bringing different teams in the same location together in one place and and making it easier to collaborate. Why this extra layer of having, you know, health leadership oversee the creative business? Well, I think I think it's less about health leadership overseeing the creative business and more about Donna Murphy in particular. Mm. I don't think this was this is not a health comes on top of creative at all. This was about you know, a fantastic and happens to be female mm-hmm. <laughs> leader um, to run the organization globally. Mm. Donna could have come from any part of that business, really. It wasn't about her health experience, in, in, you know, in particular. It was about her success as a leader to take over the rest of the organization. Um, health had just sort of, and it ha- it's happened in a lot of networks. It's not just Havas, mm-hmm. but had grown up sort of over the years into this real specialty capability because as, as Myra said of the regulation, but the reality is, you know, the skill sets and the opportunities. And if we think about the need for masses amounts of content in that space, it's become much closer to lots of other industries that we work on in the creative side, you know, financial services, or even, you know, general market, you know, FC PMG, Mm -hmm. like you've just been able to say, Hey, these are these are not really just medical affairs problems. They're consumer problems, and I think more than anything, COVID taught us that. Right? We didn't talk about brands like Pfizer and Moderna. Right? Like we, they just weren't in part of our psyche, and now they are consumer brands. So it makes all the sense in the world that we're going to take the experience in that category and embed it back in the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of you know it 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 plays into this strategy or sort of need to, to integrate more right across holding companies. I'm curious, like what other, um, Steph, uh, like opportunities have you seen to do that? And how are you kind of looking at the North America market as a whole? We've been, you know, the, I've, it's been three years now, which is shocking to me that I've been doing this job <laughs> and it, we have this really amazing, what I would call sort of matrixed organization, you know, as Myra said, Myra runs Chicago and is the CCO in Chicago. Dan Lucy, as, as she mentioned, is the CCO in New York. And traditionally, those would have been two very functionally separate offices. But the way that our network works is we look at really matrixing in where we have the best talent for the task, right? It's a talent to task 
you know, process that we're trying to serve. And we, and that's the beauty of the village, right? We can, we have agencies like Battery in LA or Camp and King in San Francisco or Republica in Miami, our, our amazing multicultural agency. And we, and we look at a client problem and say, who's best to serve this? Who's best to solve it? And get less concerned about any one individual operating company P&L. We just throw that out the window. Mm. It's just not how we work. We're, we sort of have this, I don't know, call it insanely generous spirit where we don't let the money get in the way. I always use that word generous to, to describe Havas, having been at other holding companies uh, where they do preach uh, sort of seamless integration across agencies. I've never seen it work as fluidly uh, and as collaboratively. Mm. Um, and I think that all ties back to that spirit of generosity is just preached from the highest level from Yannick. Mm. It's also a privately owned company, right? So you have a little more flexibility in that sense. Technically publicly traded, owned by Vivendi. True, but but yes, yeah. the bull, the Bullerys have you know are, are significant shareholders in that organization, and I think it allows us to act more as a family business than as a public business in a lot of ways, which has been great. You know, we, we were the only holding company during COVID not to lay off people right away, mm. and that came really that came from the top. That came from the sort of the family notion, the human connectivity that Yannick said, you know, listen, I, I can't put people on the street when I don't know if they can find jobs. And yeah. That was really about personal choice. And that wasn't about, you know, business for the good of business sake. It was business for human. And it stood out from what some of the others did. So. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so Myra, I mean, I'm curious about like, you're, you're running the Chicago office and you're a CCO, you're a creative person. There's a similar setup in New York. Well, what's it like for you sort of like taking on as a creative person, taking on management of the business as well? And I guess maybe Steph, you can kind of speak to like the strategy there of having creatives actually run the business. I know it sounds insane, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a creative business. So having a creative mind run it isn't the craziest thing. And uh, frankly, when Stephanie first uh, suggested it, I said, uh, I think I paused for a good two minutes. Um, then we did do our diligence and met uh, potential candidates for that president role. After a, a couple months of that, many dinners that we had, um, and not finding just the right person that would understand the Havas culture, who really wanted to take on the challenge of reinvigorating Chicago, I accepted it. I will uh, give a shout out to Britt Nolan, who is in a similar position for Leo Burnett in Chicago. And I asked him how it was going for him and whether or not I should accept it. And he was like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you accept it? It, it puts creativity at the forefront mm -hmm. of the agency. So that being said, I couldn't have done it without Stephanie's support and as well as Angelo Criticos, our CFO, who's been in this office for uh, a little while. I think 15 years. Um, so he taught me, you know, the, the ways of finance because that is a huge part of it. Um, I had always known the basics around allocations and scopes, but I got to get into my first FT3 meetings, which <laughs> I don't even know what that means. So <laughs> <laughs> explain these acronyms to me, please. I did some Googling of acronyms, um, but it's been a great learning experience and I'm in a little over a year in that uh, dual role, and I love it. And I have been asked if I had to choose one at this point, um, which would it be? And I would choose the president role because, again, 
if I was to invest in uh, another leadership role, I would invest more in the creative talent. Well, I was going to say, like, does it sort of allow you to let you have a creative advocate at the helm, right? Is that sort of the point? Steph, I guess you can speak to that maybe. Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, you know, if I could have reinvented myself, I would have been a creative person too. I, I have the utmost respect and empathy for creative leaders in our business. Now, you know, you think about it, we all, we're all in the business of influence, right? We're, we're never in the business of saying yes or no. Um, our clients get to make those decisions. And so we're in the, in, the, in the position of influence. Creative people, more so than any of us, I mean, I really believe that everybody has a role in the line of creativity, but creative people more so than anybody put their babies out into the world. And, and unfortunately, oftentimes, you know, their babies are told they're ugly. Yes. <laughs> and I think if you think about that world of support and empathy that you have to give to these amazing creative minds to help pick them off the floor and they have to pick up, you know, pick themselves off the floor all the time. I, I just think, you know, that that combination of high respect, regard and empathy for that role um, I've always had. Mm-hmm. Right. It, you know, it's what drove me to this business. It's what I love about this business talking about and debating the work is still the best meeting of any day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that by putting a creative person in charge in Chicago, it really said something to the market. And it wasn't just a creative person. It was somebody that I trusted implicitly and I'd been working with for a year. And I, and I just looked around and said, there's nobody better. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why we just said, no, Myra's got to do this. And it did take a bit of convincing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I will say it's, it's probably not for every creative. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend it for people that don't want to sit through financial meetings or who really, really are just totally driven by the next big idea and cracking that. Um, it is a different, I think it takes a special breed, someone that really truly cares about the bottom line, about being profitable. And I can't, yeah, I just wouldn't recommend it for everyone. It's a different job. <laughs> it's, just, it's a very different job. Well, not easy. Yeah. It well, I guess in New York as well, that seems to be the strategy too, right? Now, like Laura Manis left about a year ago and now Dan, Lucy and Tim Mullaney are uh, running the office. Is that sort of like, Myra, would you like the blueprint for that strategy? Like, is that sort of, was it a coincidence or is it sort of like a intentional thing? I mean, it was, it's, it's intentional to this point. It doesn't, you know, our whole sort of ambition is to have an unfair share of talent, right? Mm -hmm. We always have to say, you know, do we have the right people in the right roles and, and always be in market in that regard. And Dan and Tim have done an unbelievable job in the last year. We think about things that are super important to us. um, You know, employee engagement is number one, right? If we have happy, engaged employees, we know that we're going to deliver better work for clients and we're going to deliver better work, you know, ultimately for the agencies. Uh, and, and we've seen vast improvements in our employee engagement scores in Chicago. Unbelievable. You know, a, a plus 20 percent lift since Myra took over. Shout out to Myra. But um, also in New York, really tremendous um, score improvements. And I think having Dan and Tim both with continuity in the business and with ambition for the business they were able to bring lots of other people into it. Leadership isn't about one person at the t- tippy top of the pyramid anymore. Mm-hmm. It's really about a gang of people who are have each other's backs in dark alleys, mm-hmm. right? It's it's really about you know that 
that sort of collaboration of spirit and bringing different objects, different perspectives into solve problems. And I think if our leaders are anything, it's probably uniformly, it's, I'd probably say it's egoless. And mm-hmm. maybe that's because of this generous spirit notion, because you can't be super generous and self-absorbed probably. Yeah. But I think we found this sort of magic to have leaders that are both generous and collaborative and raise their hands and ask for help and therefore don't let ego get in the way. Well, I'm curious how much that is a testament to to your both of your leadership styles and the fact that you're this female power duo at the at leading this holding company. You know, how does that sort of influence the way you lead the network? Just sort of I know Steph you talk a lot about, you know, being a female leader. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll let Myra answer too, but for me it's about sort of the natural, listen, you, everybody's leadership style goes on a pendulum somewhere from command and control to circular and inclusive. And I know about me and, and about a lot of female leaders is circular and inclusive leadership is more our natural style, right? Consensus building, asking questions, bringing people in, and a little bit less command and control. We could, you know, leaders like that, like me, can probably learn to be a little bit more command and control at times. It doesn't mean abdicating decision-making. That's not what it's about. But I think when you are, you know, circular and inclusive, you're you're not afraid to, to say, I don't know everything, mm-hmm. right? And get people around you to help you solve whatever issue it may be, whether it's a, a client problem or an organizational difficulty or, you know, almost anything. I think with, once you have the freedom to say you don't know everything, um, and you can bring people into that sort of circular decision making. Um, it's it's free mm. in so many ways. Yeah, I uh, just to give you some prop stuff. You have created such an inclusive group of North American leadership. Um, she gets us together. It's only once a month. I know Does it's it, every four weeks, but it feels like the a months lot more. go by quite well, fast. <laughs> <laughs> But we have like a great uh, monthly meeting, uh, but we have such a good time on it that there is frequent outreach amongst us to to each other. So whether it's George and Sean uh, at Arnold in Boston, um, I hit them up for advice on things, especially when we're we're all sort of in constant pitch cycles um, and we share tips and tricks. Um, we're all on Teams chat together and texting. Uh, and nobody made me feel as like the one that was kind of an infant to this dual role. Nobody ever made me feel like I couldn't do it. It was completely supportive. Tim Molini, a uh, special shout out for him too, to just sort of be a mentor to me. We've never even talked about that, but he's definitely a mentor. Uh, he's not the type that would want to take on a, a lot of mentees. And I think he'd he's going to blush when he listens to this, (laughs) that he's been such an amazing mentor to me and taught me so much, even if it's just spending 15 minutes to vent about the current political state in America. um, (laughs) He's just always there for me. Also a shout out to our HR team that is again, like always looking out for the people, me included, and are truly championing everybody through the darkest of times. Because when I came in, it was still heavily into the pandemic time mm-hmm. and really watching out the HR team, watching out for people and how we, we were all doing. Yeah. Well, let's, let's sort of talk about talent for a minute. 
we've we've emerged from the depths of the pandemic and uh, hopefully we don't go back. But how has like your strategy with with talent evolved since then? I feel like, you know, people are talking a lot about or were talking a lot about back to the office. It seems like everyone's kind of figured out their hybrid schedule for now. Uh, To me, I feel like there's been a drop off in conversations about DE&I. Like, I'm curious how you're continually addressing these things. And those are two separate topics, but we can kind of yeah. take both. Why on. don't I jump on your the second part and Myra can go back sure. to the first part. I think, you know, it's by fluke, we are launching our uh, Commit to Change 2.0 this afternoon. Oh, <laughs> to, look at that. Uh, to have asked North America. So if you remember, I know you guys wrote about it in uh the summer of 2020, if we think back to the, the when we were really, you know, I thought we were going to be out of the pandemic every two weeks. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I was the, I was the denier forever. Yeah. Um, but we made our commit to change plan deliberately public, right? We were applauded for our efforts as being called out as the most transparent of all holding companies because we launched a seven-point plan around data transparency, providing industry access, accelerating careers, amplifying diverse voices. And we made really good progress. So we every year we look at those results and we say, what, you know, how are we, how are we moving forward? And now we are almost three years later. We have a, you know, a, a really solid committed plan in that 50% of our interns are come from underrepresented communities. And excitingly, and we're not done yet, you know, our overall employee base has increased from 28% to 36% in underrepresented communities. And that's, that's, a, that's, I mean, it's not big enough. It's not, we still want to go farther. But if you think about it in a business in the size and scale of ours, that's hundreds and hundreds of additional employees where we've opened the doors for opportunity. And we're really, really excited. So today we're going to, we're going to demonstrate to our staff how we're going to continue on that seven point plan, but also how we're going to integrate the effort, our DEIB efforts into all business operations, because we know that we need consistency. We need consistency across the network in health, in, in media, in creative, across all of our operating companies, because we know what what gets measured will get done. Mm-hmm. We, you know, it's really about putting those goals in place and tracking them. So, when you say like integrating it into our business operations, what does that mean exactly? It means all of our leaders, leaders like Myra, it's part of their performance yeah. metrics. Okay, you know, it, you have to make everybody accountable for it, but it's also about having the systems in place. Mm. And so we have talent space, which is the way we track and, you know, give progress reviews and everything else for all of our employees. And it's about ensuring that we have the dashboarding metrics live and actionable on a monthly basis. I think I've read as I was doing the predictions for this year, I read a few articles that were about this will be the year of HR. I don't know if you saw that, Allison. I haven't. Yeah, that, um, and I, I agree. I think um, just the human resourcing aspect of it and in improving inclusivity as well as diversity has never been more important. Um, also around uh, health and wellness and just helping people recover from the pandemic because there are definitely anxiety issues. Um, they're just the stress of having to return to office, 
of sort of evolving back to uh, a more normal, in quotes, uh, life. So yeah, I, our HR team is really busy. And it's also been nice there with the uh, with Donna taking over, seeing more coming together, more confluence with our HR teams. Mm-hmm. So having the health and wellness team merge, not merge officially, but just talking and having those conversations and help roll out the, the new commit to change has been great. And I just wanted to speak for a minute about a program that we have that I think is really unique and important called the FRIDA program, um, named after Frida Kahlo, uh, a very you know famous female creative person. We have a commitment to get 50% of creative leadership uh, being women by, I think, ugh, I want to say 2025. That might be ambitious. I may be misquoting uh, some facts there, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, it's a great, great program, um, and it's a global initiative. Uh, we're sending, I believe, it's fifteen women, creative women, that are sort of that next level from CD level up, mm-hmm. bringing them to Can um, to experience what the peak of creativity is like. They're on panels. Uh, we have lots of events for them. I'm mentoring two of the women uh, personally. And we also have two women from Chicago in the program. So big shout out to Michelle Underwood and Stacey Burkhart, who are very ambitious, creative women that want my job. And I want nothing more than creative women uh, feeling like they can do it because it's not easy. And the Frida program actually comes out of our Fem Forward program. So you've probably covered those in the past, but we launched Fem Forward a number of years ago for senior leaders all across the network. And then we launched Fem Forward Academy because we there was a gap between senior leadership and what was happening in the more sort of junior and 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 middle management level because we know that women leave this business and yep. we've got to find ways to retain them, right? It it you know, and COVID made that much worse. We saw the numbers not in Havas, but in the world of women taking a step back from the workplace. And we've got to prove to women that this is a career for the long term. And it doesn't mean giving up the other things. You know, I'm a a mother of two. Myra is a mother of three. We both have husbands at home and and, and things like the snoring dog at my feet. But, (laughs) you know, being able to have sort of a, a robust look at what female leadership looks like, and it's not one dimensional. Right. So we've got to, you know, really show women in our organization why they can have these sort of long term careers that are rewarding. Yeah. And I think it's also like, you know, back to having Myra, a creative person in a president role, it's an empathy thing. Right. Like when you have a woman who's done it, you can create a culture that allows other women to, to be able to thrive. I wanted to make sure we talk about Can a little bit and the work. Are there any campaigns you're really excited about? Any hopefuls? Um, any any Grand Prix on the horizon? Ooh, Grand Prix. Um, I mean, it's it's tough. And again, my week not only is kind of devoted this week to scheduling, but also reading all the predictions. Uh, it's so fun for me to see uh, coworkers, but also previous coworkers get celebrated. There's so much anticipation. I think. Um, we have uh, quite a few from BTC Paris, <laughs> who is sort of our crown jewel of creativity. They are, you know, have best in class work in the globe. And I think, um, I mean, if I had to choose one, I mean, my favorite 
from them is um, a spot for Canal Plus call, called The Secret of Wakani. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that one? I don't think so. It's just an amazing film. It's a long form, 90 second commercial that's about everyone's love of streaming great shows and and how that can actually uh, greatly impact your life. So definitely check out The Secret of Wakani. Um, there's also a great one from Havas Paris um, where the Charles de Gaulle Airport rebranded for a few weeks as Anne de Gaulle uh, to celebrate Charles Charles's daughter who had uh, Down syndrome. Um, again, like there, there's a charitable organization being able to completely change the name of an international airport is no small feat. So mm. love that brand act and hoping that gets some acknowledgement. And then, I don't know, Steph, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I have a couple for sure. If you I think you're about what London just did, <laughs> I can't help it. You know, listen, I'm a mom who has a harried, harried uh, family life in the mornings. I know what it's like, but the work they did for the Wreck-It brand Vanish yeah. and the Autism uh, Society is unbelievably impactful work. Because what it does for me is it, it's the the perfect example of something that makes you care about a brand and Mm. a product demo Mm. where it comes together. I mean, it's really about a product demo. It it shows the superiority of the Vanish product brought to you in a way that is unbelievably moving and compelling. So I love that one. I love, there's little ones that I love from the North American network, you know, Listen, they're not going to win the, the Grand Prix. They're little, but if we think about things like Spicy Sprite, Myra, yeah, you know, it, it was so literally a, a really fun April Fool's tweet, and it, was, it went all around the world, and it was amazing. Um, super fun little idea in the social influence space. Or uh, what Montreal did, what Havas Montreal did with the 54-second watch. Mm. Uh, I saw that one. Beautiful, beautiful, yeah. brilliant idea. So smaller ones, probably not going to be Grand Prix, but celebration of creativity just the same. Yeah. What do you think is going to be sort of like the overarching theme among campaigns? Like obviously the past couple of years have been all about purpose, right? And all about like really serious and moving and societal issues. Like, do you foresee a move away from that? Or do you think there's like fatigue around that, around like, oh, this campaign just won because it tugs on the heartstrings, but didn't actually like move the needle for the brand. I guess, what's your take on how that whole approach to can is is evolving? I think purpose-driven work is always going to have a huge place in the festival. I do think that there's uh, juries are going to be shifting to, um, to work that's purpose-driven, but for brands maybe, as opposed to nonprofits. Mm. I've heard a lot in jury rooms criticism that, you know, it's it, it's just a nonprofit. Nobody really saw it. Um, but I think that, like me, myself, and uh, autism, the work for Wreck-It is very purpose-driven, and it's tackling a, a huge um, societal issue, but it's for a brand. Mm. So I think that might be a trend. I, I'm surprised. I, it's kind of across the board, the themes this year. I thought there would be more around sustainability, mm-hmm. but I'm not seeing as much of it. I think women's rights is a big theme. Mental health is another big theme. Um, and I'm also seeing just some super fun ones like Clash of Clans, um, 
the the made up history. Um, that that's purely fun and imaginative and isn't solving any world problems. <laughs> Just as the creatives told me on it, they're a team I used to work with, Nick Stoner, Nick Howard, shout out to them. Uh, they said it's just a really dumb idea that they're they're really proud of. Humor's um, back. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let, let's cross our fingers on humor because Dr. Rick, Dr. Rick, cross our fingers on Dr. Rick. It is the most universally loved campaign. You can't, nobody says that they don't love that work. Yet in the jury rooms, it's been overlooked at, at the big shows. I mean, it's won every other show, but, it, uh, you know, Can has not yet awarded Dr. Rick. Maybe this yeah. is the year. Maybe this is his year. I mean, I got to say, like, I don't laugh a lot at advertising, but this I I genuinely laugh at. And even my parents, I yeah. saw like laughing at this campaign. So kudos to they see themselves in it. The team. And, yes. you know, and you fear yourself <laughs> in it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think to your point on sustainability, it's interesting. I do think we're going to see a lot of activity from activists on the ground about sustainability. Um but it's interesting that you don't see a lot of work about it. Not a lot. I think there's a little bit of a fear of greenwashing in general, mm-hmm. um, which is good. We don't want greenwashing to happen. Um, but I do think it's probably the single largest problem we're facing right now globally. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., I think gun violence is still probably one of our biggest problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's been, you know, BBDO had the, the great campaign, um, where the gunshot survivors were reviewing the guns, um, mm-hmm. and forgetting the handle for that. But that was great. Outside of that, there hasn't been any really big, uh, anti-gun work this year, which there mm. could be some hesitancy around. It's really hard to make a difference, <laughs> work. Yeah, I think I think that's true. You know, we I was involved with all the great work around Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense a few years ago, and we really made an impact. Where we made the impact was it with corporations, but trying yeah. to make an impact with government to make a difference is is a really uphill battle. And yeah, three rooms are probably a bit tired of it because yeah. they know that unfortunately it hasn't it hasn't made enough of a difference yet. If it hasn't happened yet, right? Yeah. So and we've been trying. <laughs> Listen, yeah. this industry's been trying. Hopefully, we don't give up though, because I do think that creative uh, there is a creative solution for it. It can't be ignored by our industry. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the Brady United organization will be at Can, um, and t- we're we're talking to them as well as a number of other agencies. So hopefully, they're a nonpartisan group. So hopefully, they can find the middle ground that it's going to take to convince um, the gun lovers that some bands need to to come back. Well, I'm certainly crossing my fingers. So I guess like, you know, before we head to Cannes, from two creative and and agency Cannes veterans, like what's your biggest piece of advice to maybe a listener who's going for the first time to just make the most of it and not necessarily be totally overwhelmed the entire time? (laughs) Are we going to say this? Plan ahead would be. Plan ahead. (laughs) Bring comfortable shoes. Yeah. 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 I am a lover of heels. So I find it it is a very difficult packing route for me when I have to think about wearing Birkenstocks for a week. Yes. (laughs) A lot of cobblestone out there. (laughs) No, Um, I think if you look at, you know, listen, 
the lines, Ken Lines does a, a really beautiful way of curating content. So get on it ahead of time because, you know, I've been most overwhelmed when I've, you know, missed out on hearing some really great seminars or, or going to see some really great people. I mean, you you make the mistake. Listen, we have great debates about the expense of can in this industry. Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't use it for inspiration, if you don't use it to see and feel and talk about the work, it is just a lovely holiday. So mm -hmm. let, let's not let it be a lovely holiday for the industry because, you know, the, the naysayers will get rid of it. If, that, yeah. if that's the case, let's use it the way it's intended to be to fire up the next round of thinking that we all have on behalf of our clients on, you know, let's use it in a really client centric way to say, how can we make even better work and how do we get here and, and what can make an impact. And mm -hmm. also take, take lots of notes and make lots of new connections, go to some things that you may not have really like that maybe have nothing to do last last year I went to the We Suite. Are you familiar with them? The We Suite yeah. dinner and made a couple of friends for life. Like it's I think it is really about making new friendships and connections and learning as much as human humanly possible. Mm, awesome. Well I will see you both there. And until then, happy packing, safe travels <laughs> and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. Save us a glass of rosé and we'll raise it after a day of inspiration. Definitely. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.